This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. If you have a Bible, you might find Matthew chapter 6. There's Bibles in the backs of some of the chairs and under the blue chairs if you didn't bring one. And we're going to be reading later on in the, in the message from there. So just kind of find that place and, and mark it and then just kind of hang on to it. Uh, today we start the third chapter of this series that we're in. We started in January uh, called Resolution Revolution. I believe, uh, I really believe God led me to develop this series and, and also our 40 days of renewal for this particular season in our church's life. Uh, the last couple of years we've, we've kind of been through some skirmishes it seems and and while they haven't crippled us, they've left us somewhat battered and bruised in need of rehab. And um, rehab is good sometimes. It's a time of renewal. It's a time of revival and re-energizing our faith and commitment to our vision as a church. God's doing that very thing among us. I hope you've um, not only been listening to the messages these past weeks, and let me say if you've missed any of them, you can uh, go onto our website and uh, find our podcast and click there, and you can listen, download, or listen uh, on your computer or on your contraption uh, to uh, whatever it might be uh, to the message and catch up with what we've been doing. Um, but I hope that you don't just listen. I hope that you've been allowing the Word of God uh, to soak into your spirit. And I hope we're all in with the 40 days of renewal. How many of you have been doing that this week? You started Wednesday, look, look around, and uh, been reading through the passages. Awesome. Today we're in, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 1. We kind of left uh, the story of Jesus' birth, and now we're into the story of his ministry. And, and if you haven't jumped into it, there are, you can find a copy of, um, of the reading guide uh, that we've, pr- we've printed up um, on the table right there and also at the uh, Welcome Center. You can also find it on our website. And on our Facebook page, it's all there so you can follow along with us every day. And I've been journaling and writing down some things that the Scripture's saying and writing down prayer things that we're praying for, and we've been doing that together. And I hope you'll join in with us as we follow the life of Jesus all the way up to Easter on Easter Sunday, and we follow the life of Jesus all the way to the cross, to the resurrection, and all the way to the ascension. So we're praying for renewal. And... um, and that God will do some things, mighty things in us. So I hope you'll do that. It's a, a time of, of trusting God and believing God and, and learning from Christ. So get involved in that. In this series so far, we've talked about, we started out talking about Christ living his life in us as Christians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 talks about that. And him living his life of servanthood, him living his life of humility through us and and that attitude that we said, God, this is our attitude. This is our, our declaration for the new year. It's not about me. It's about Christ living in me. And then we spent some time with that. And then we transitioned over to uh, the prayer of renewal of, God, would you please renew my heart, renew my spirit. And by looking at the Old Testament story of Josiah, just what renewal looks like step by step. And we wrapped that up last Sunday in the 23rd chapter of Second Kings. And that story ended, we didn't get to read this verse last week, but I'm going to share this with you. It ends with a very powerful assessment of what Josiah had led the nation of Judah to do in ridding themselves of the idolatry that had caused them to abandon God. 2 Kings 23.25 says this, Before him, before Josiah, there was no king like him 
And I'm assuming that means David, and I'm assuming that means people like Solomon. Before Josiah, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his mind and all his heart and with all his strength, according to all the law of Moses. And that's what the law of Moses said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And this assessment said, before Josiah, there wasn't any king that did this. And not not only before Josiah, but no one like him arose after him. He was this king that just turned it all over to God. And while we might read the story as we did last Sunday and think, wow, as they went through the land, through the nation of Judah, and they tore down the idols and tore down the high places and, and ground up and burned up the idols. They even, even put some of the priests who had led this worship of paganism, they put them to death. And we think, well, man, that's pretty extreme stuff. But taking extreme measures is never the easy way. I mean, if you're going to clean house, well, let's go home and clean the house today, Rick Gale says. And I think, okay, let's do it the easy way. You sweep it under the carpet, you know. You just kind of hide things and rearrange things and shuffle things around. That's the easy way out. They cleaned house in the nation of Judah the hard way. They really went through it all and cleaned it up. So if you want renewal, and that's what we're praying for, and I hope you're saying that prayer to God, renew me, Lord. But if you want renewal, but you're unwilling to pay the price of relinquishing the things in your life that might be preventing it, guess what? It's not going to happen. You can read all the scriptures every day for 40 days. You can even pray every day for 40 days like we're doing. You come to church every Sunday during these 40 days. You can listen to the message. You can go online and hear them over again. But if we don't do what the word of God says, if we don't, aren't willing to give these things up to God, not much is going to happen in our lives. And that brings us to this third declaration, these resolutions that we're making this year at Nags Head Church to God. And that is, God, would you do whatever it takes in me and in my family? in my church, and I think maybe we could expand that saying, in our country, please, God, would you do whatever it takes to renew us? But think with me for a moment. That word whatever, that's a pretty open-ended word, isn't it? Whatever. What kind of limitations are on that word? None. What kind of boundaries do we put on whatever? None. It's kind of saying, I don't know, how else do you say whatever? Whatever. Anything, pretty open-ended, pretty scary, pretty frightening if you think about it. And that's why I think it's of the three declarations that we're making this year, it's not about me, renew me, Lord. I think whatever it takes is the hardest of the three to mean from your heart. Do I really mean whatever? Am I ready to climb the highest mountain and swim the deepest ocean if that's what renewal means? Am I really? Am I truly willing to give God carte blanche to remove those idols that I've erected in my heart. I think of the Apostle John. You know the Apostle John? He was Jesus' best friend during Jesus' adult life, during his ministry. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote some letters there at the back of our, our New Testament. He wrote the, the book of Revelation. He lived to be a very, very old man. All of the other apostles, best thing that we know about them from history and so forth was that they, the rest of them all at some time in their lives were martyred for their faith. They died for their faith. John was allowed to live to be a very old man into his 90s. 
And as he neared the end of his life, he wrote three little letters before the book of Jude and then right before Revelation, letters to the believers. And, and as this, this seasoned saint, this older man, this last of the, of the apostles, the really the longest living believer of Jesus in the world at that time, if you think about it, as he wrote those, those letters, he wrote them to Christians like you and me, and he looked at, at those folks as though they were his spiritual children. And, and that's how he approached them, and he wrote to them that way. And, and he genuinely loved them, and he viewed them that way. And at the end of his first letter, the last thing he said, now if I could say one last thing to you, what would it be in this letter? Oh, I know what it is. The very last verse of the book of 1 John says very simply this, little children, guard yourselves from idols. Little children, don't get caught up in idolatry. And we talked about that last week, Hal. Yeah, we, that was great. Back then they had the images and the idols and, and, the, and all that kind of thing. But have you been thinking this last week since we went through Josiah's story Have you been thinking about what idols you might have in your life? Remember last week we defined an idol as anything or anyone I worship other than God. I heard a pastor, I was was driving down the road, turned on the radio and heard a pastor talking on the radio and he said, he said an idol is anything or anyone that has control over my life other than God. I said, I like that too. So I thought I'd bring some visuals. I, I learned from different preachers. Pastor Steve Wise, whenever he speaks, he likes to use visual illustrations. And so, uh, and so I, I said, I'm going to do a Steve thing today and bring some visuals. So you've probably been wondering what's under here. Anybody wonder what's under here? It's obvious. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll, I'll show you what these things are. And these are all representations of things that might, might be idols in the lives of 21st century Americans, all right? They're all representations. Now, I want you to know, none of these things that they, they, they represent are evil in and of themselves, all right? They're not. There's nothing religious on this table by itself. It's what we make of these things. For example, there's a calculator up here. And most of us that have a calculator, like, like and this is mine, it sits on my desk, and the only thing I really use this for is to, is to for financial numbers. You know, I want to figure things out and know how much money I have and, and to spend. And this represents my, my financial life. I thought about instead of this, I would have a credit card. Maybe that would be a better idol for some of us here today, but, but it represents my finances and and, uh, and, and, you know, who controls my attitude uh, about my finances is, I guess, the question that, you know, if I'm in debt, and I'm not going to say how many of you are in debt today, <laughs> most of us probably, but if I'm in debt and I don't have the means to pay it off, that's a really good sign that there's something in my life that I've given control to or someone, and maybe it's because I worship Things. I just got to have stuff. And so I go crazy spending, and then I realize my finances are all out of whack. Finances can be an idol in people's lives, money. Uh, here's another thing I have up here. Uh, I'm told this is a golf club. Um, actually, I played golf this last week. This is mine. And... Um, <laughs> I played golf this past week, and I don't know why I torture myself like that. You know, I have to be the world's worst golfer. 
You know, it seems like every time I play, I get worse. You know, you, you would think you would get better. Not me. I get worse. But I played this week, and, um, and there's nothing wrong with golf. Golf is a, is a good game if you have the patience for it. But this represents, um, this represents recreational things. This might, you know, it could be I could have had a, a fishing rod up here. I could have had a surfboard up here. Um, you know, I could have had a whole lot of things up here. It represents our, our recreational Lives And by the way, there's nothing wrong with having fun in life, right? I mean, th- I think we ought to have time that, that we can stop doing the, the, the work of life and, and we can go out and do something that's fun, don't you? I, I believe in that. I think I enjoy going out and having a good time uh, and, and, and relaxing a little bit. Nothing wrong at all with that. But a recreational hobby... Golf doesn't do this to me because, you know, maybe if I was good at it, but a recreational hobby can take over our lives. If every free moment that we have, we're either on the golf course or we're in the boat, or we're on the waves, or if we're not, we're wishing we were. And we neglect the things of God in our lives. And we've, as a country, we've, and these things are not cheap. I guess this was given to me. I have another little, this is a five wood. I have a three wood that I bought at the thrift store for $4. But otherwise, but these, are, these things are pretty much not, and, and you know, if you're into this kind of stuff, whether it be surfing or fishing, you, could, you can invest tons of money in recreation. And sometimes we do that, and because we've invested all that money, we don't seem to have the money to afford the necessities of life food, clothing, shelter. We can't pay down our debts. We can't give to the Lord's work because hobbies and recreations, if we allow them to, can become idols. Here's something else. I don't have one of these. Uh, This is, I'm told, called an iPod. Um, And I think you can download music in this and listen to it. You plug this end into this thing and put these things in your ears. And it's kind of like for the old timers, Bobby's kind of like a transistor radio, kind of only it's updated, okay? Remember what those were. And, um, or it could, be a, it could be a cell phone. My wife, yesterday, we went out to uh, deliver some flowers for a wedding that the folks were hoping to have an outdoor wedding. And uh, it didn't work out. She, she, says, she was driving. She said, take my phone. She's got a smartphone. Not me. I have a dumb phone, all right? <laughs> and I'm happy with my dumb phone, Okay. But she says, slide that little thing on the screen over. And so I put my finger on it, slid it over, and all these little icons popped up. She says, now hit the one that says Weather Channel. Hit the one that says Weather Channel, and boom, right there on her telephone was the weather. You know, it showed the, the clouds, the green stuff coming over, uh, the radar. I thought, well, that is way cool. But, I, but you know, there's, and, and, and those are good tools, if, you know, if like for her, for her work. But... But there are some people, have you ever, there are some, especially young people, you know, I mean, it's kind of like their, their, their neck is going to permanently be like this when they grow old because they're always looking like this, you know, doing this stuff. And then they, one of these days they're going to realize they're stuck like that. And, and that, that thing has consumed their lives. Technology can do that. It's a great thing, technology is. I love technology. I won't break into that song, but I do love technology. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun, and, and it can really be helpful. But when it becomes idolatrous is when, you know, for example, when the moment an upgrade is announced, Apple or Microsoft or whoever, upgrade, and you got to be the first person in all the world who gets it. Ah, 
This would include our time on the internet, our social networking that technology provides. How do I know if it's become an idol in my life? Try this. Live a week without it. I'm not going to do this for a whole week. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. By tomorrow, you would be, you'd literally be shaking, you know? Try living a week without it. When you wake up in the morning, is the first thought in your mind to check Facebook to see what your friends did while they slept? You know what I'm saying? That kind of... <laughs> Can I hear an ouch out there, please? Right, then there's another, I brought, brought, brought my briefcase. I, I, I used to use this, and then when, you know, the computer age came along and I have everything in my, my laptop, I don't use this, it's all dusty on top, but I still have it given to me many, many years ago. But briefcase represents my career, my job, your job, your career, working and making money. You know, work is biblical. I, I hope later this year to do a message on what the Bible teaches about labor, about work because I believe it's a biblical practice. And by the way, if you have any occupier friends, that's the Sunday you probably want to bring them to church, invite them. There is a godly work ethic, and we're told to work so that we can provide for our families. But listen, when we find our minds always figuring out, even we can't sleep because we're always trying to think of ways we can make even more, when we suddenly realize we haven't had a day off in a long time. We're taking a vacation in forever. Someone said to me recently that, that their family has not had a family vacation in like nine years, but their business is really successful. I thought, that's dangerous. Something wrong there, something out of sort there, something not healthy there. We've built an idol with our job, with our career. I've got another representation here. This is a family, this is out of my office, but this is a frame of, um, of all my children's weddings, um, my, my daughters and my son, and, and, um, and just pictures of wedding shots. This represents family. It represents other people in our lives that can become source of idolatry uh, to us. Even, even our, and I can say this because I am one, our grandkids, and that's painful to some. Don't talk about my grandkids now. You know, I used to always laugh at all those grandparents, you know, that soon, oh, let me show you my pictures of my grandkids. And I'm like, oh, gosh, no, please. And now I am one, and I do the same thing. Hey, let me show you my grandson here. I got a picture of him on my dumb phone, but he's there, you know. <laughs> Families, friends. For teenagers, it's often our friends or, or, listen to me, kids, it's a boyfriend or girlfriend that you get in that relationship and it pulls you away from the Lord. I don't do youth ministry anymore myself, but I know from my past experience in youth ministry and what I, what I know about it, kids, it, it doesn't change, but I've seen Christian kids who are thriving and living for the Lord and doing great things, and then they fall in love. And as soon as they get that boyfriend or that girlfriend, their spiritual life is just gone. Why? Because somebody's become an idol. Somebody's taken the Lord's place in their lives. Let, let me just say, can I, let me just time out. Can I say to you kids in here, you don't have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend to make you whole, to make you complete, to make you fulfilled, to make you cool. You don't have to. But you do have to have the Lord in your life 
to make it through. Would you get that into your heads? And I know you're looking at me and saying, what do you know? Gosh, man, you got to be 80 years old. How, you know, what do you know? And someone might ask, well, does that mean I, I shouldn't show my love for my family or for my friends? Of course, that doesn't mean that. Sure, yes, you love your family, and yes, you love your friends. Well, can I show my love for God by loving my family first? Not above him. By the way, a lot of atheists love their children and have no love for God. Now, here's one, and this is going to hurt some of you, especially some of you. Again, I've talked to the young people. Let me talk to some of the seniors especially, but... Uh, this guy's not alive, but pets. I didn't want to bring a live animal up here. It just be, could be messy. And so I stole this one from our, this belongs to my grandkids, I guess. They play with it. It feels like it might, maybe barks or something. I don't, I don't want to get it started. But, but pets, especially little foo-foo dogs like this, you know what I'm talking about? How people, you know, with their pets, you know, I believe dogs, I believe dogs are man's best friend. But some of you are going, oh. But have you known people who treat pets as the most important person in their lives? My dad, let me tell a story of my dad. He's not here to defend himself. But when I was a kid, when I was in junior high school, my dad, for whatever reason, got caught up in tropical fish. I mean, it started out with me. It was my fish, my aquarium, and my dad kind of, kind of commandeered it and took it over. And, got, and, and, and it was, my dad, I, I watched it with my own eyes as an eighth grade kid, you know, as a 13-year-old. My dad, he could not drive past the pet shop and said, oh, let's turn in and see if they got some new fish. And he'd go and he'd buy a fish or he'd buy a rock or he'd buy something that makes bubbles or something that he could put in that aquarium and he got consumed with it. Be careful, you know, with your pets. Nothing wrong with having pets, but... Don't let a pet become your idol. And the main reason is because they die and it'll rip your heart out if they do, right? You need, you need a God who is alive and never dies. None of these things are graven images. None of these things in and of themselves are evil. Of course not. Unless they take the place of Christ on the throne in our lives. So here's a couple questions we can all ask ourselves to see if we just might be idolaters. Question number one, who or what controls my life? Who's got control? And it's interesting that you and I might quickly answer, well, dude, we came out to church on a Sunday morning and it's pouring down rain outside. Obviously, the Lord's got control of our lives, right? And I hope the Lord does have control, but that's only partly right. You know, we are told in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, which implies his control over me. But when it comes to control, please hear me, it's not a let go and let God thing. Because you'll find many, and I, I, I search, I want to find verses that say, God, you have control of my life, you have control of my life. And over and over, you know what I found God saying? Let me give you self-control over your life. find many, many verses that talk about you and I having self-control and that being a virtue. You see, being controlled by the Holy Spirit, Christian, is not a robotic kind of thing. It's a conscious choice we make every day. Who or what controls you and who or what controls me is my choice, is your choice. And idolatry is about 
control. In Galatians 5, Paul writes about the evidences of a life under the guidance of the Spirit, and he says, here's the fruit of the Spirit. And then he mentions in verse 23, self-control. His working in me gives me the discipline to say no to what shouldn't be part of my life, or at least what should not be taking over my life. So someone or something else has control over my, my life. Not only have I lost self-control, but it also tells me I'm not walking in the spirit either. So it's, it is a spiritual issue. That's why the cure for addiction is a new birth in Christ. He alone can give your spirit a new start. He alone can erase the past. I love to tell people, look, if you were addicted and you're free from that, please understand, you're not recovering. You're reborn. You're a new creature. Who or what controls my life? Secondly, who or what gets my devotion? Second question. Above all else in my life, who gets what gets my devotion? Now we can say, well, my devotion goes to my job because without my job, I can't survive. Or it goes to my children because without me, they can't survive. And of course, it is good to be devoted to your job. And it's great. Awesome to be devoted to your children or to your spouse, but not more than your devotion to your Lord. And so is it possible for my kids or my grandkids or my spouse or my job to become my God? Yeah. You see, if anything else gets my devotion above Christ, that thing, that person has become an idol to me. Speaking of idols, it's a good time of the year to talk about idols. How many of this this week? I think here's something to chew on. How many of us this week will talk more to others about our favorite singer on American Idol than we will about Christ? Remember Matthew chapter 6? I told you to turn there. We talked about verse 33 a few weeks ago. I want to back up this morning in just a moment to verse 25. We're going to see that the context surrounding this verse is about worrying about how our needs will be provided. Typically, what is, what is your first reaction? What is my first reaction when I have a need? My first reaction is, what can I do to meet that need? Where can I get the resources? Where can I find the funds, time, the energy, whatever, to meet that need? And, you know, you'll see a great example is first-time brand-new parents, do this. And we have a lot of we have a lot of new babies in our church. We got a lot of new babies coming. Something's in the water at NHC, so just be really careful, all right? But a lot of first and you know, those of us who are grandparents, we see this with our kids when they have their first children. You know, we watch this and we see it happen. The baby has, they call it Mom, the baby has a runny nose. We're taking him to the emergency room. You know, and immediately that's the first thing they do. They run to the emergency room because the baby's got a runny nose. And we say, you know, they'll learn. By the time this, the third kid comes around, the kid will almost be dying before they take the, you know. But with brand new parents, you see a baby becomes the most important person in their lives. And here's what I've seen with, with Christian people is that they begin to drop out of everything else in their life that they were doing, including things that were related to ministry and worship, because life now revolves around the baby. Now, should your baby take a high level of your care and your time and your resources as a new parent, should he or she? And the answer is what? Absolutely. That child depends upon you. But should that baby become the number one person in your life? 
Follow with me while I read these verses. Verse 25, this is, what I, this is why I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is he speaking to anybody here this morning, by the way, already? Oh, can you speak? move over that stuff real quick. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow, meaning plant seed. They don't reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? How many of you wish you were at least just a couple inches taller? Would you? I would like to be. Always, always, I've always, just three of us. I've always wanted to slam dunk a basketball, you know? Never going to happen, never happen, not going to happen. How many of you could add to your height a single cubit? He said, by worrying. And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin thread. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his splendor was, um, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? Now get this in verse 32. For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Here's how it works. God doesn't want you to neglect the important responsibilities of life, such as rearing and providing for your children. That's one of life's highest priorities, and we exalt family here and, 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 and parenting and, 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 and all that. What a high priority is that? But it shouldn't be the highest priority of your life. But knowing that our nature is to drift away from our devotion to him and put our devotion somewhere else, Jesus makes this promise in verse 33. And essentially he says this, here's the deal. I'll make this deal with you. If you'll put me first in your life and not neglect our relationship, not neglect the things of my kingdom, here's what I promise you. I'll provide you all the time, all the energy, all the resources you need for all of the other important priorities of life. But put me first. If you haven't been a believer in Jesus very long, I hope you get this. And we're not, this is not hocus pocus stuff. It's not prosperity theology. It's simply placing the Lord on the throne of your life and maybe bringing some other things or people down a notch or two where they belong. And note that I did not say, put the church at the top of your list because while the church matters greatly to the Lord, the church is his body, we're not to worship the church because the church is us. Not to worship each other, we're to worship who? The Lord of the church, the head of the body, the Savior, Christ. So let me give you some clear signs that maybe something's become an idol in my life. First of all, 
It might be an idol if it becomes a source of contention in your family or in your marriage. Go back to dad and the, dad and the uh, fish. Boy, I can remember my mom just kind of getting on his case about how much he was spending on fish, you know, and we couldn't even eat them. How much he was putting into that, you know. It, I, could, I saw a little tension there in the home over my dad's idol. He didn't know that that's what it was. Contention, you know, and maybe you hear this from your spouse or your, your you, that's all you ever do anymore. Or this one. You know, I think you'd rather spend time with that or them than with me or with us. I think you'd rather be doing that than be doing this. Might be an idol. A second sign. It might be an idol in your life if it devours your resources so that you can't provide for the necessities or give to those in need. And here's where addictions, addictions are maybe the worst thing. They, it's a form of idolatry, whether it's gambling or drugs or alcohol or porn or shopping or whatever. If our idols are expensive hobbies or gadgets, we can run that credit card bill through the roof. And then when that happens, what do we have to do? We, well, I gotta, I gotta pay these bills. I gotta go get a second job, go get a third job. I gotta work more. And then it eats into more of our time, not only with God and with his family, but it eats into the time with our kids and with our spouses. And we can always rationalize and say, but you know what, but I have to work. I don't have time to give. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to do other things that I know are important. But you know, the bottom line, I'm just too busy. And you have to work that second job to afford your idolatry. Now, let me be really clear here so no one's confused. I'm not talking about those of you whose jobs may require you to work an occasional Sunday, especially if you're in, like we have some folks in church today or they're in public safety Uh, medical care of some kind. I'm glad that you work on Sundays. Mary, I'm glad you're there on the Sundays that you work so that if I call 911, you answer the phone and get me help. And I'm also aware that economic times might require extra work. I know personally I've been there and done that. Just make sure if that's what you have to do, make sure it's necessity-driven, not idolatry-driven. I remember hearing someone say years ago that if you're too busy to draw closer to the Lord by following him, by connecting with his church, then you know what? You're right. You're too busy. One more sign of idolatry in my life, and that is if my day goes without it, I feel cheated, empty, or unfulfilled. If I, if I wasn't able to swing that golf club or if I wasn't able to, to work that, that, make that extra money, if I wasn't able to do whatever it might do, it might be that's an idol in my life. I, I just, by the end of the day, I just, man, I have been missing something. But how do you feel, Christian, if you didn't spend time in God's word with him in prayer? Did you miss that as much? Listen, we're all created. Every one of us have been created in our lives with a place in our hearts that only Christ can fill. And if we don't fill that place with him, we'll find something else in life to fill it with. And if that something else becomes our purpose, 
we find we can't go a day without it. But compare that in life with what the psalmist said. Psalm 42, as a deer longs for streams of water, picture a deer being chased through the forest by hunters. He's been running for a long time. He's dying of thirst. As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for the living God. Let me ask you a question today. Are you thirsty for something real, something life-changing? Job wrote in Job 23 too, I have treasured the words of his mouth. Speaking about God, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily food. Job said more important to me than eating a meal is to listen to God, to get into God's word. Does your soul hunger like Job's to hear from God? So the question that I'll leave you with this morning for all of us is this, who in my life, who is at the top? Who's sitting on the throne? Who's filling that hole in my heart, if you will? The Bible tells us in Colossians 1 verse 18 that Jesus is also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Why? So that he might come to have first place in everything, not second place, not leftovers, not when I can find the time so that he might have first place in my life. So this morning, does Christ have first place in your life? And if he doesn't, who or what have you allowed to sit on his throne in your heart? And like we saw last week with Josiah, maybe it's time in my life and your life for us to tear some idols down and give Christ his rightful place, first place in us. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.